From the east side to the west, this is From the Land, the Cleveland Sports and More podcast. I'm your host, Jason Gerber, and tonight we talk the return of fun to the corner of Carnegie and Ontario, the surprising resolution of an almost two-year-long nerd fight, and we head off the field to share loss and music with one of the iconic bands of our generation. I am joined tonight by two of the best ever. My co-hosts, Phil Danko and Chuck Rambaldo, are here. Fellas, how did you enjoy the vacation from each other? Oh, it made me sad, man. Like, I don't know. I I, I was I, I missed Chuck. I longed for this partnership. <laughs> it was only a week. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the best part of my week, so I, I, I definitely missed it, but it helped that. You know, vacation's pretty nice, so soften the blow, but I still listen to the show on the drive back. The first thing I got in the car, I don't know if anybody's listened to the show at uh, 4.30 a.m., but it's a good listen even at that time. <laughs> All right. Man, great tip. We're going to start marketing that a little bit more. Why don't we get into it? Fun at any time. We'll start at home with our Guardians week cap, our look back at last week's Guardians baseball. And holy shit, it finally happened. <laughs> In one week, there were offensive explosions, late-game miracles, and now the team is dancing dangerously around the division lead. Guards began the week taking two from the Red Sox, should have been all three, started the weekend series with the Astros with a historic come-from-behind, 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 come-from-behind 14-inning win, followed by a Saturday loss and a Sunday series-winning Bieber masterpiece. Guards are currently 31-34, and 34, just a game and a half out of first. Are the guards winning 105 or 107 games? <laughs> I'll take the under on both of those numbers. Uh, 106. I'm going to split the middle. I love it. All right. What's your week cap? I think it's the best stretch of baseball they played all year. Even the losses showed uh, something to build on. The offense finally heating up. I love the fact that they scored at least five runs in almost every game this week, except for one. And they had double digits, like back-to-back -back games. They scored double digits. Offense in baseball is a lot of fun. Uh, so to me, um, like I said, best stretch of baseball, but the most entertaining as well when it comes to this Guardians team. Uh, my week cap hitting both sides of the of the game here. Bieber with two really really stellar starts. Even even his first start in in Boston, he was he he looked really good. So I think his stock is reaching an all time high. We should go ahead and trade him as we talk about <laughs> yeah. like tomorrow, right? Yeah, <laughs> like right now that, that Mookie Betts trade looks better and better for everybody. Um, so from that end, like Bieber looked like Bieber twice in that week, and then the offense to Chuck's point, it got rolling and the the extra base hits and the RBIs came from the middle of the lineup, which was huge to see. Of course, Ramirez had that ridiculous game, but Ramirez and Naylor and even Rosario, some, I mean, the guys and Bell too, the guys in the middle of the lineup were producing and knocking in runs, which we have sorely missed all year. And that's probably why this is our, it's officially a streak though, two winning weeks in a row. It's a streak. It is a streak. And I think the offense is definitely the story of the week. I mean, getting together these games where they're scoring more than five runs, multiple games in a row with 10 hits or more in a game, like we hadn't seen anything like that all season long. But what I really loved about it was I think Sunday, because Sunday was 
that time where it all came together. Bieber was fantastic. The offense put up runs. Like you were saying, there's power in the middle of the lineup. Jimenez and Bell both homered. And the bullpen did its job. And, you know, you get a shutout of a of a really good team, and you get that series win uh, and in a winning week at the end of it. So that really is the thing, man. I think, obviously, I'm not coming up with some novel theory here or coming up with some great idea. But if you score a bunch of runs and your pitching is really good at the same time, you're going to win a ton of baseball games. Uh, and so that's why I, I love Sunday. I love this week. It was finally a week where we could get really excited about the guards. So staying on the high notes, our first ever Ohio Cannabis Association highlight of the week. <laughs> Which one of these was the highlight of the week for you? The JRAM three home run game. Next one, Josh Naylor's ninth inning double to send the Friday night Astros game to extras. Next one, Tyler Freeman, Will Brennan, back-to-back doubles to tie and win the Astros game on Friday night in the 14th. Last one, Bieber, seven innings, three hits, no runs in the series clincher. What was your highlight of the week? Wow, those are all really good options. I The, I, the emotion I felt during the extra inning game kind of wants me to pick that one, but I'm, I, I got to go with Jose Ramirez. Like it, that is something where I think as that game was unfolding, his first three at bats were home runs. So you're just like, geez, yeah. like this, this guy's going to hit five home runs today. This is <laughs> insane. That was just an absurd show of power from a guy that man, does he need that? Right. Like he, he's been okay. I mean, he's been better than okay all year. Let's, let's be fair. Like he's an amazing player. He just hasn't been living up to MVP expectations, which we have for him now. Coming into that game, I think he had six home runs, left it with nine. All of a sudden, he's the team leader, you know, five RBIs. And then he went on to later in the week, he kept hitting home runs. So, all right, maybe this starts to get his power stroke back. And that's huge for this team going forward. So that is my highlight of the week. I'm with Phil here. They're all good options. I like the Jose one the best. He's your leader. He's your best player. He's not having a bad season but he's not having a Jose season like we expect him to have. And I'm thinking he goes, the rest of this lineup starting to go. And that's what it kind of looked like. They put up double digit runs back to back days. And I, I'm not taking it. I think Will Brennan had a fantastic week. So I, I would have liked to put him somewhere in there, but you can't like the, Jose is this team. And if that guy hits three home runs in a game, I'm trying to think when's the last time we saw a guy hit three home runs in a yeah. game. I, I don't know. Um, it just doesn't, it doesn't happen here. Um, so that's my highlight of the week. The can what was it? The, what cannabis? <laughs> the Ohio Cannabis Association. Ohio. <laughs> I'm assuming this is the trade group that is going to get cannabis legalized yeah. in the state of Ohio. I'm with you guys. It's the J Ram three home run game. Naylor has been awesome. That 14 inning game was incredible. I watched like 11 of it in those innings and then I went to bed because <laughs> I'm like, I just can't stay up for this anymore. But a three home run game is so rare. I, I didn't try to look back and figure out when the last time somebody on the guardians and Indians did that, but I know for sure it's something you don't see every season necessarily, or maybe every three or four seasons. So I, there's just something historic about that. And for him to get it going and to kind of be that, that event that spurns on this entire fantastic week, I think we got to go with J Ram, but it's not all good news. 
So over the weekend, the guards sent James Karinchek down to AAA. And I want to ask if you're surprised by the move because in the last 15 days, his ERA was 1.5. He had seven strikeouts and only three walks. I, w- I was surprised because even when he's pitching okay, or that's a pretty nice stat line that he gave. There must be something that that staff just doesn't like what they're seeing out of him. Uh, and I don't expect him to be down there long at all. Hopefully, whatever it is, if it's a timing thing, mechanical thing, pitch clock, whatever, whatever the hell it is, I would like to see him come back into the form he was towards the end of last season. You're right. He got better, so it was surprising to me. But there's a lot of arms uh, in this organization who can step in and carry the load for two weeks, three weeks, a month, whatever it is, until he gets back. But it was surprising. I, that was one guy I did not expect to see them get sent down. I kind of feel like I'm to blame for this. I, I jokingly said he would end up in Columbus a couple of weeks ago, and we're like, there's no way that's going to happen. And then he did. I couldn't believe it. And it seemed like it was a week too late, to be honest. Like It seemed like he was working, working himself out of it a bit. So it was surprising. I was surprised by it. I don't know, you know, you know, Chuck might be onto something there. Maybe, maybe they just, and I see it when I watch him, like he can't locate his fastball. That's a problem. You know, uh, he's a curveball out guy though. He always has been when his curveballs on he's that's when he's untouchable, but you give a guy a break if he can't locate his curveball Cause he's going to get some swing swings and misses at a breaking ball. Even if it's in the dirt, he can't locate his fastball. So maybe they're just giving him some less stressful situation to go down there and find you know, just find his his accuracy again with what should be the easiest pitch he throws. I guess I'm overall not surprised that he gets sent down because his numbers for the season aren't great, but the timing of it seems so strange to me. Because what if if the option is there to send him down, why didn't it happen three weeks ago right. when he was, you know, walking four guys on 16 pitches or something like that? You know, what? what is the point of keeping this guy around for that time period and then sending him down now when, I mean, you look at the numbers and I would even say there's an eyeball test to this and all of us watch enough games over the last couple of weeks to know that, oh, hey, man, he didn't look great, but his numbers are pretty good and he's getting him out of innings when he needs to. Like, why is, why is this happening now? And I don't know if it was that Heron kid, I think, came off the injured list and they wanted to bring him back up. And I don't know if they were basically thinking, well, let's keep Karen check here until this dude's healthy and then we'll we'll switch him out. Uh, but then they sent, I think they sent Heron back down on Sunday. So they, and they replaced him with Morris. I don't know. It seems strange. And it it's one of those things that kind of makes you look at the bullpen and think, are they are they really handling this as well as they can right now? Or do they really have this figured out? right now and maybe there's more that's going we're going to see more shuffling happening in that bullpen while they work it out for the rest of the season or maybe they're hiding him down there to package him with Bieber there you go <laughs> boy that's an interesting conspiracy theory why would they <laughs> but he's pitching okay why would they he hide is. him down there if he has another 16 pitch four walk inning maybe <laughs> maybe um take advantage but... he's doing all right yeah yeah <laughs> Maybe we need to spend more time like talking about people that will be packaged with Bieber when he moves. I don't know. I think we're probably getting close to the time where that needs to be a regular topic of conversation because he could be. Why why wouldn't Karen check be a guy that yeah. they think about oh, yeah. moving? Yeah. You know, I mean, teams can use him and he's somewhat erratic. Um, so they they might not love that about him. Um, but he's got talent, he's got arm talent for sure. Great. 
More bad news, or maybe not. You tell me. Should we be worried about Stephen Juan and get some love? In the last month, he's only hitting 259 and he's struck out 19 times. On the season, he has more strikeouts than walks. What is going on with Stephen Quan? That's concerning because it's a guy who doesn't strike out that often. Maybe he's just reversing what the lineup's doing because he, he really didn't slump all that bad, but maybe he's going into his slump while everybody else is coming out of it. I don't know. Uh, he's, he's a gold glove outfielder. He had uh, God, what game in the extra inning game that that oh, catch yeah. in the 13th. Yep. Like, come on. I would be a little bit concerned, but. You know, he's still a young player. Like we forget, right? This is only his second year. Nobody expected him to be here last year. So I would let a guy like that work work through it, even if it is in the leadoff spot. Uh, I think it's his. He deserves it. I, I don't like the strikeout numbers because I'm, I'm interested to see how many did he have last year. It, it, it couldn't have been all that many comparatively. Yeah. So, but he had, did he hit a home run this week too? Maybe he's starting to hit for power. So you're going to get some yeah, more strikeouts in there. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm concerned about it. Uh, I, you know, we talked a lot last year about how great it was to find Quan in the leadoff spot so we could move Straw to nine. And now it's almost you look at it like, all right, it's the same thing at, at, at both ends of the lineup. And, and Straw's having a better year and Quan's having a worse year. But, you know, all right, maybe a sophomore slump. Maybe maybe there was something to the fact that our offense was so anemic. He just thought he'd had to do more than he should have. And he's trying to hit the ball for more power or extra base hits or what have you. I hope he just kind of settles back in. And if the rest of the lineup does their job, he can feel like he can just settle back in. Like, you know, just get on base, man. I don't care if you bunt, walk, slap the ball the opposite. It doesn't matter because that guy is a once he's on base, it's a double or triple at some point, you know, in, in this game. So, yeah, the strikeouts are concerning. I, I hope he settles down and just uh, just get the bat on the ball again, Steve. I think about a month ago, I said that, I, I liked watching him hit so much because he was such a professional hitter. He never swung at bad pitches. He was great at hitting with two strikes. And I think since I said that, he's gotten terrible at both of those things. I just see like a, like a lack of plate discipline is just killing him. Maybe that's a good sign. You know, that's something that he can he can get back under control and he can he can improve on as the season goes on. And maybe that'll drop those strikeout numbers and we'll start seeing the contact that we did last year, but I don't think we can have two gold glove outfielders who don't produce it all on offense. It's, it's hard enough to carry yeah. uh straw in that spot. We, we can't have them both do it. We can't have Will Brennan being the best hitter in the <laughs> outfield, man. I don't think that's a recipe for success. Enough of the bad stuff. Let's talk MVG, our most valuable guard for the week. There are a lot of good options. First one, Josh, all the nads. Naylor hit 480, had 12 hits, seven RBIs, and only two strikeouts last week. Next one, we already talked about him. J-Ram hit 435, uh, had 10 hits, four home runs, eight RBIs, and three walks during the week. Moving over to the pitching staff, Aaron Savali, 5.2 innings, one win, two earned runs, three Ks, but it was his second real quality start since coming off of the IL. Last one, Phil brought it up to Shane Bieber, two appearances, 12 innings, one earned run, 11 Ks, a .71 ERA. So who's your MVG for the week? Wow, that's uh, that's tough to pick. 
I'm, I'm torn between Bieber and J-Ram. I'll, I'll give it to Biebs. I'll give it to Bieber because this is this is the Bieber we we know we have on this team, right? Like this is the guy that we've seen pitch and never get run support and get through these. He'll he'll make two starts in a week and give up one or two runs combined and lose a game somehow be 0-1 in those two things. So to get through that and at the time where offense was kind of clicking, come out of that, you know, 1-0 was huge. You know, you, you watch him pitch these these two games that he threw this past week, and you know, you know in your heart he's got to be the one to go because that's the only one that's going to bring anything back for this team. But man, was that nice to see that dominant performance? We're like, all right, any two three runs here, guards, and we win these games. Um, yeah. And it, it made it harder for me to agree with myself from a week ago, where I were talking about we have to trade this guy. He's the most valuable guard for the week because of his two performances. In a week where the offense exploded, <laughs> pitching man, like I don't, <laughs> it's about time these guys started hitting. I don't, I don't, don't want to give him a big head. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna give it to Naylor. He had a huge week, but let's be honest, this guy's probably been the most consistent clutch hitter and hitter on this team so far this season. Uh, and his stat line is insane. Not for just this week. Go back for like the last three weeks. Um, Developing into a much better hitter than I thought he would be and still love the energy from that guy. So uh, I want to give it to him just because, again, like two days they scored 20 runs. Uh, Shane Bieber, I love him, but he's gone soon. I don't care who's on the mound when you're scoring 20 runs. Be careful. Be careful. (laughs) I know. We don't want the pitching to start giving up. No, I'm overreacting. I'm going to go with all the Nads Nailer, too, man. Just. Too big a week for him, too many big hits, uh, too many clutch moments, and he has been doing it now for like three straight weeks. I mean, he really is killing the ball right now. We gave J-Ram the the cannabis award for the week anyway, so I don't want to give him give him two things. Don't want it to go to his head. So I'm giving my MVG to all the Nads. Naylor, let's move on to next week. Guards kick off the week out west tomorrow night with three in San Diego against the Padres, followed up with three in Arizona against the Diamondbacks. Padres have a bad record. Diamondbacks are awesome. How many wins is a good week for the guards? Even Steven is a a good week going across the country. I don't care about the Padres record. (laughs) One through five in that lineup, man. Nasty. Um, So I, I would be super happy with a split in a 500 week. Three and three would be fantastic. Um, I don't care how they get them. <laughs> Take all three in San Diego and get swept yeah, fine. in Arizona. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> get, get three wins because I, I worry about this team running up against the Diamondbacks. They lead all of baseball in stolen bases by a ton. And our catchers can't throw out bad base stealing teams. So that could be that could be a rough series uh, from that standpoint. But yeah, get three wins. That's a That's a solid week out West. Three is good, but four is better, baby. (laughs) There we go. You know what? Last week, Tom was the only one who had the confidence in this team to pick them to get four wins in the past week, and they did it. Um, I'm going full Burke on this week. We won four games from two really good teams this past week. We can do it again. Uh, This team is hitting its stride. The offense is starting to click, and and it's time to see some, some wins against good teams. So I like our chances out west. Four and two week for the guards. Let's go get it again. Fellas, on that high note, we're going to wrap up this segment. We're going to take our first break. We're going to come back, head out on the road, 
talk some NBA finals and some golf and some softball. Welcome back, fellows, to our second segment. We'll head out on the road, and we'll talk NBA Finals. We were way off last Sunday night, uh, but maybe a little more right as the week went on. Nuggets lost Game 2, then ripped off dominant wins in Game 3 and 4 in Miami. Jokic had the first-ever Finals 30-20-10 triple-double. The Nuggets also traded for a first-round pick in the 2024 draft from the OKC Thunder, so they had a busy week. Game 5 was tonight as we were recording, and it just wrapped up. It was adorable. Miami was up 7 at the (laughs) half, but Denver ends up winning it in a close game at the end. So the Denver Nuggets are your NBA champions, and let's look at the landscape of the Western Conference. Warriors are starting to get old have some contract issues. The Lakers were a surprise mid-season rebuild, but they probably can't keep all those pieces. Suns are losing Chris Paul. Kings might be a one-hit wonder. Grizzlies have a lot of off-the-field issues. Do you expect the Nuggets to be back in the finals next year, or is the night the season ends too early to predict who will win the following season? No, this is this is like the the Mel Kuyper mock draft when we don't even know what order teams are drafting in. Like, let's do it. Like, why not? This is right. This is right when we should be doing this. So I, it is hard to climb this mountain again two years in a row. However, if history has shown us anything, if you have if you have that stud on your team, you can do it, right? And Jokic is that guy. As boring as he is, the dude averaged a triple double in the postseason. Like, he can get this team through the regular season and through the playoffs again next year. So yeah, I'm going to I'm going to give the the odds on favorite right now tonight Denver Nuggets in the finals next year. I like the fact that they're focused on the future knowing mm-hmm. they were going to win the championship and make a trade for a first round <laughs> pick to address some of their issues. They did, like the the only thing I followed this week in, in the NBA other than the finals was I open Twitter, I see a thing what says Kyrie Irving's trying to recruit LeBron James to go to Dallas. I closed Twitter and said that's enough NBA for me today. <laughs> yeah, right. So if that were to happen, may, maybe uh it works out with though that's a big 3 if if he would go there, but I don't see that happening. So I, I, they get back there, but to me, the East is still a better conference. Miami had a sick run, but there are really good and deep teams in the East, and it's always hard to get back once you win one. So uh, I'm not willing to go as far as Phil and said they're going right back there, but maybe I'll give it a maybe today. I guess I want to take a stand and say yes, yes, it does seem like they will get there because the the real powerhouse teams in the West all have issues. Like, I don't think the Warriors come back next year in exactly the same form we have seen them in recent years. And even if they do, I'm not sure they have what it takes to to get back to the finals. The Lakers are a big question mark. I'd say the Grizzlies were a team that we all thought was going to be there this year, and they're coming apart, man. Like, I I don't know what the league is going to do with Ja, but it might be really serious. It might be like a half-season suspension or something like that. It's hard to look at that West and say, yeah, there's somebody who's ready to make a run. All the Nuggets have to do is get a little bit better. They have what I hope is a is a version of the issue that maybe the Cavs have right now too. They've got their superstar. They need to fill in the pieces around him. 
which is what I think the Cavs have their superstars. They need to fill in some pieces around them. Those pieces are a lot easier to find than superstars. So the Nuggets can, they can do it and they can add little pieces here and there and get a little bit better. And I don't know. I don't know what the rest of the West does uh, to get that much better next season. So I'll go ahead and say it. I don't even need to see next season. I can make the prediction now. <laughs> Nuggets in the finals again next year. Cavs Nuggets. Cavs Nuggets finals. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well done, Denko. <laughs> right. Moving on. The college softball World Series wrapped up really quickly last week. Oklahoma won after sweeping two games from Florida State. What is the most impressive stat from Oklahoma's run? They completed their three-peat with the wins over Florida State. Oklahoma was 176-8 and eight in those three years. This year's team led the nation in runs, batting average, pitching, and defense. So, you know, pretty much everything. Last one, Oklahoma won 53 straight games, including the final two against Florida State to win the title. Which of those stats is the most impressive? We gave four, right? I'm going with uh, E, all of the above. You lead the nation in pitching and hitting and home runs and RBIs. You win 176 and eight? This, uh, gosh, was like 10. Who, who was the female basketball? Is it UConn? Is, is mm-hmm. that the only other yeah. like sick run like that? All of those stats are unbelievably impressive. So I'm just going to say all of the above. Yeah, there's no wrong answer in that group, but I was most impressed when I heard about the 53 game winning streak. Like that seems absurd to me. Like I okay, the the total record's amazing, but you're you're throwing some losses in there somewhere. I mean, this is baseball, softball, right? I mean, it's this is a game that you're going to you're going to drop the back end of a doubleheader on a Saturday because you, you have you, you just don't have it that that second game and you lose yeah. one to nothing or something. They won 53 games in a row. That's insane. I was really impressed when I heard that as I was watching my Seminoles get destroyed. All really impressive. And I don't even think we we have it in us tonight to try to place Oklahoma's softball team among like the greatest dynasties we've known in, in, in sports because, my gosh, for a three-year period at least, th- this is foolish. To me, it's the 53 straight games. Like, that's just crazy to not just have – an off day or an unlucky day in a game like softball where just a bad bounce happens. Somebody sticks out a bat on a pitch that would strike them out and bloops it into right field and a run scores and you lose a game. So you have never have that happen in an entire season and win all those games in a row. That's just ridiculous, man. Oklahoma softball. Well done. Are you ready to predict whether or not Oklahoma will be in the softball <laughs> yes. world series next year? <laughs> yes. yes. All signs point to yes. All right. We're going to move on to what I think was probably the biggest sports story of last week. The live PGA merger, the nerd fight we have been talking about for over a year came to a stunning end last week when the PGA tour live golf and some other league, no one knew was in the fight announced their merger (laughs) because of the way this went down and how quickly it came together among a very, very small group of guys who discussed it and found a way to reach a deal. There really aren't a ton of details. So there's a lot of questions that are going to be unanswered on how this moves forward, but we know for sure that the dispute and the lawsuits between these uh, entities are now at an end establishment entity 
takes over the upstart. Is this golf's revenge for the Gojo deal? And if you had to guess, what is the over-under on succession jokes I'm going to make in this segment? <laughs> the over-under is six for me. <laughs> six? Um, wow. Take the under. <laughs> <laughs> it's, oh, I thought you would just theme it that way the whole time. Reading about it and, and trying to figure out exactly what happened, like you're saying, it seemed like it was like, not like backdoor deals, but like people were at weddings and and then people played golf and blah, blah, blah. What, what I see here is that whoever has the most money wins. And that's what's happening here. Like, I, I don't know what the real structure is, but it sounds like the basically the PGA needed the influx of cash. Uh, and when I look at it from their perspective, I see why. There is no golfer on this tour who draws eyeballs like when we were watching Tiger Woods for a casual fan. And when you're going up against a bottomless pit of money, you're going to lose, whether it's legally uh, in courts or if it's prize money and purse money. Uh, so I understand why the deal was made. It just seems weird to me that you spend a year pounding your chest saying this is terrible. And then all of a sudden, you know, guys who went out in front of it, golfers like Rory and Tiger, who turned down somewhere near a billion, a billion dollars. And they find out when they get the ESPN alert, like we find out. Yeah, that's not right. Like that, that's the part that I, I didn't see. Right. So uh, it's an interesting deal. And I understand why it happened, but it just feels weird to me. I'm going to say that you make at least three succession references during this line of, of questioning. Right. Um, and I got to tell you, like, you know, you know, is this, is this their, their response to the, the Gojo deal? It felt like I was, it was a script right from succession. It really did. Like all of a sudden no one saw this coming. It was just kind of leaked and you're like, Whoa, wait a minute. What just happened? And I would take that all the way forward to even this morning. It's still going on. We're now, 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 much like in succession, spoiler alert here, they're trying to get the government to, to destroy the deal. <laughs> like, why? Wait a minute. Yeah. What? Like, okay. Like I've seen this show before uh, and I saw it two weeks ago. So yeah, it felt very much like that. It's, I mean, I, I don't know that I can, can go through a, a synopsis of it any better than Chuck did. In fact, Chuck's synopsis was better than anything I read. I kept reading things. I'm like, I don't understand <laughs> yeah what i'm reading right now but at the end of the day yeah money wins it that's that's not new news that that you know how old is the game of monopoly 100 years old i mean that that's just what this is all about and i think it was rory actually i i found some of his comments interesting because you you could you hear him kind of saying listen i still hate this i hate this i hate this but i kind of understand this there was that but if you listen to rory talk about it and the idea was it's better to have all the money and have some control over how golf is or is presented going forward than to continue this fight. So that was an interesting kind of piece to the early stage of still something I don't understand. Rory is a really interesting piece in all of this. I was actually really impressed with the the level-headedness in which he responded early on to this because mm -hmm. that guy has the juice and put his neck out for the PGA and could have come back and thundered at him and didn't. I think he had a very measured response, like you're saying. You know, in the end, sometimes this stuff just comes down to the fact that lawyers are ball-washing bastards, man. The the <laughs> PGA had spent $50 million on attorneys already. Yeah. 
<laughs> and you know what? They weren't even close to being done. Lawyers are a necessary evil. Trust me. I know it. Um, <laughs> but, um, but it's sometimes it's the amount of money you have to pay in a process that no matter how good you feel about your case, it's a really uncertain ending. And, you know, so lawyers, once again, win for everybody and get this deal done. All right. So Liv had a really difficult to follow and unpopular format for tournaments. Is that coming to the PGA? No, no, I don't think so. I no. Greg Norman was the live commissioner uh, out front and center pimping that league. And it's reporting that he is now a hundred percent out when the merger is completed. Is Greg Norman Roman Kendall Shiv Connor cousin Greg? <laughs> it's not that lemony. Um, I think. <laughs> I, I see the parallels with Shiv in, in Greg Norman in that he's aligning himself with who he expects to be the, the, the big boy in the fight, I guess. So, uh, and then all of a sudden finds himself on the out. But I could see a little bit of, of Kendall there too because he went against the establishment. Here's the He went against PGA, tried to destroy him. PGA is what made Greg Norman who Greg Norman is or at least allowed him to be who he is, right? And he kind of... Uh, in a, in a Kendall type move turned against it. So I guess it's a Shivendel. How about that? Shivendel? <laughs> Pretty good. Not bad. I don't think he's any of them. The only thing that I can compare him to, and I think it was, was it like the communications director for Iraq when the war happened? And he was like, oh, you love everything's great. fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're this is the second great. time you've brought this yes. guy up on the show. That's, that's that what they do. We got to learn this guy's name. They celebrated like, oh, nothing's going to change. Live golf is still going to exist. Dude, you are on the first thing smoking back to Australia. We'll see you around. I really think it's it's Shiv. And it's for kind of what Phil was saying is that, you know, Greg Norman had a plan. Shiv always had a plan. Shiv's plans never quite worked out. Uh, and Greg Norman's plan here did not he was helping to start this new thing it was going to challenge the pga he was going to be a player at the highest level of sports as a commissioner of this new league and it just didn't work out because you know what phil's saying is right it's about the money uh, and in the end uh, there was more money for everybody to merge and, and to no longer have greg norman as the commissioner so I think he's Shiv. I don't know who he's holding hands with in the SUV as he rolls out, but um, he is definitely out of the picture. Two groups of players now. One group is the good guys because they stayed and defended the PGA. I think there's another argument that the guys who left helped bring changes to golf that it will make more money for players going forward, maybe making them the good guys in the long run. Who do you think were the good guys? Well, I think from our perspective and what's been on, on the TV, you know, in the past year, the guys that stayed are the good guys right now because there's, there's a loyalty there, you know, it, th th that kind of thing. That's, that's the picture they painted. But you bring up an, an excellent point because I think fast forward, I don't even think you have to fast forward too far. Fast forward another year, you know, one more year, two more years, maybe a blink of the eye. 
And if this is better for golf, better for all these professional athletes, the good guys are the guys that pushed it and said, wait a minute, we can make more money. We can do a better job. We can, we can demand a, a, a larger slice of the, of the pie, so to speak. And we've talked about this in the past with what the NBA does. And it's just different. You know, these players kind of have a bit of control. So maybe in a couple of years, we look at this and say, you know what? The real good guys here for everybody, uh, not us on this podcast, unless we get a golf sponsorship, but you know, for all the golfers, <laughs> they, they were the guys that kind of pushed it and they're making more money now, top to bottom. So I guess both. <laughs> Phil went with both Chuck. How about you? <laughs> I don't, I don't know if it's going to be both, but it's, it's going to be a little cloudy. I think they're smart guys. And those are the guys who took that cash up front, like Mickelson and DeChambeau. Uh, I'm sure they're not going to get prorated and have to return any of that money uh, that they got to, to to join the live tour. The good guys are supposedly going to get equity, but there's no plan on what that equity is going to look like. You step away from the PGA for a year, you make more money than you ever have, no matter how many majors or sponsorships you've ever won. And then you have to go apparently through some reinstatement process, which I assume will be some sort of sham. Uh, and, and then and then you're just back to where you started with probably, like you're saying, the, the good guys here are all of I think they're kind of all of them um, just because you made a ton of money. But you allowed the guys who stayed probably to make a ton more money, too, because that influx of cash my guess is in the billions, right? It's not going to be like 10 million bucks. We're no. talking billions of dollars. Um, yeah. So I don't know if it's black and white, good and bad. I think it's it's shades of gray. And I think all of them benefit in the end, but it's the guys who left who benefit the most because they made the most money uh, to play less golf. 54 holes a weekend. <laughs> yeah. DJ Phil and Patrick Reed are not Kurt Flood. Uh, they are not. Uh, Rosa Parks, calm down. These guys <laughs> took the money, and it is a scam that they're just going to be able to kind of walk back into the league after doing that. Uh, the good guys are the guys who who stuck and stayed, even though they got shivved a little bit in this announcement. So I, I think the I think the line is clear. I think it'll be interesting to see five, ten years down the road how this affects the legacy of those real, real, real big name dudes who jumped to live. DJ Phil, uh, some of those type of of guys. Overall, I don't think it affects most of the other ones very much, but those guys might uh, someday have an asterisk of some kind next to what they accomplished because they because they did this. Moving on, succession line that best matches the entire scenario over the last week. First one, I'd castrate you and marry you tomorrow. That was Tom to Greg in season three <laughs> or the PGA to Rory. <laughs> Next one. Congrats on losing your betrayal cherry. That was Kendall Roy. Basically anyone at this point talking to the PGA. Next one. It's dirty. It's weird. And it's evidence of precisely the kind of disgusting liberal Metro, butt love that makes our viewership angry enough to buy pharmaceuticals. That was <laughs> Roman Roy. And also a brief description of the future of golf. <laughs> Last one. That was about as choreographed as a dog getting on roller skates. That's Logan Roy or a commentary on timing this announcement. So the players learned on Twitter also only a week before the U S opened. So <laughs> which succession line do you think best matches the scenario of the last week? The Roman line it's dirty and it's weird. 
Uh, I don't know where you lost me on the butt love, but it's funny to say butt love. <laughs> it's his line. I'm... It's his line. Yeah, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't I'm, lose you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm still going to – the first two lines are where it's at. It, it's definitely dirty in, in aspects, and it's definitely weird. I think it's uh, option five. He'll suck the biggest cock in the room uh, relative, <laughs> relative to the uh, the current commissioner of the PGA after he spent a year saying that this would never happen. And then, oh, that's a lot of that's a lot of commas and zeros. I guess this will happen yeah. now. Yeah, the lines you gave. Yeah, the Roman line. It, that's kind of how it felt. Like I'm still kind of like I don't like. Okay, this is this is what it is. It doesn't feel good. I don't know, and I don't I don't care necessarily. But at the same time, it seems a bit weird and dirty, right? I'm going with the Logan Roy line. Like, come on. Even if you have a deal, you got to think about the timing of when you announce it. Don't do this before the U.S. Open. And there's some of this they don't really know, but we didn't spend a minute talking about the fact that uh, for the first time since the 50s, a Canadian won the Canadian Open, and he did it with a 72-foot eagle putt on like the third playoff hole. Like, that's a great moment for golf, and nobody's talking about it because we're all talking about this uh, so I'm giving it to Logan. This was a very poorly choreographed announcement by the PGA and live, but there we go. This is golf moving forward. And gentlemen, we're going to move forward too. we're going to take our final break. We're going to come back off the field for another from the land, all ears. Welcome back fellows to our final segment. We're going to head off the field and welcome to another from the land all ears earlier this month the foo fighters released their latest album but here we are this is the first album that the band has released since the tragic passing of taylor hawkins quick foo fighters stat line the band started around 1994 as a one-man dave grohl project and has had a few different band iterations over the years the band has won 15 grammys five Brit Awards, and they are a perfect 6-0 and when nominated for a Kerrang! Award. The band has sold more than 32 million records, and their songs have been streamed about 2.9 billion times. But Here We Are is a pretty heavy album. Here's my best shot at a joke. Scale of 1 to 5, 1 being Succession, 5 being Ted Lasso. How did this album make you feel? I, I applaud your attempt to to in, inject some humor into this because there there's none in this album. There's no humor whatsoever. But to answer your question about the scale, I I'll be honest with you, man. It's Succession made me feel dirty. Uh, Ted Lasso made me feel <laughs> sad at times, like a lot of times. Like Ted Lasso pulled on the heartstrings, and I, I'm gonna lean it towards Lasso. I'm not gonna give it a five. Was that the end of the scale? The Lasso end? Yep. I'll put it at like a a three and a half or four it, because of the content. And I felt I cried way more during Lasso than I never cried during Succession. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna sit in the middle only because I truly enjoyed Succession and I truly enjoyed Ted Lasso. And at times both were heavy, but it doesn't mean I didn't in, enjoy it. And that's the same thing with this album. I think I'm closer to the Lasso end of the scale too. Probably a three and a half, four and a half, something like that, uh, because it's a heavy group of songs and it's a heavy subject matter, but you felt okay listening to it, you know? Like, I, I think Phil's kind of onto something that, you know, I kind of felt sick by the end of the final episode of Succession, and I, I don't feel sick listening to this album. That's it for the jokes, fellas. <laughs> Things are about to get pretty heavy in here. I think that the Foo Fighters are one of those unique bands 
that has made a lot of diverse sounding albums over the years, but you always know it's a Foo Fighters album. So they're a little bit to me like the Chili Peppers in that regard. Where does this new album fit in the different Foo eras? And I will define the eras as late 90s, which is the color and the shape, and there's nothing left to lose. The mid-aughts, one by one and in your honor. The 2020s, uh, Medicine at Midnight, or none of the above. This new album is its own thing. I'm going to say none of the above. I would put it towards the first ones only because I think the quality of the album, this one specifically, is closer to the color and the shape in the first album, at least for my my enjoyment and thinking they're, they're really great. But this stands alone, um, not because it sounds that different from their stuff. It's just the subject matter is a little bit different than uh, any of the other albums. And there's songs like Con- Phil probably, he's a bigger Foo fan than any of us, like Congregation, that might fit on this album. Uh, but but ultimately, this this stands alone, man, uh, compared to most of their library. Not sonically. It's not like they took huge chances here. But the fact that the subject matter is just so different from what they've done in the past. It's hard to put it in one of those eras. I think the first eight tracks I would put squarely in the late 90s. Like the first eight tracks on this album sounded like the My Hero or the Learning to Fly type songs from The Color and the Shape and Nothing Left to Lose. Just sonically, that's that's what it sounded like. And then the last two tracks, which are the longest tracks on this album, which represent like 40% of the total runtime of this album, are completely different. But to Chuck's point, the subject matter, there's only one subject to this whole album. That has never occurred on a Foo Fighters album before. There is one prevailing theme, and it's quite obvious and very necessary uh, as we get into this. I'm sure we'll discuss it further. If I had to put it anywhere, I would have put it in the mid-aughts. Just because I, I listened over the last few days to In Your Honor a lot as well. I think what these two albums have is they have the best balance between Foo Fighter Rock and like Foo Fighter Soft. Like in your honor, in part, I think because it's a pretty big album, I think it was a double set. Uh, there are a lot of the the kind of softer sounding, no screaming sounding, little bit softer guitar sounding songs on that album. And I think you get a lot of that on this one as well, uh, as well as some of the screaming. I mean, you can't have a Foo Fighter album without Dave Grohl screaming about something. I, I can definitely see the late 90s. I think if if anything... I would agree that you put this album near the beginning of their catalog, maybe more so than than near the end. The album is about loss. It's about death. It's about the loss of Taylor Hawkins. So which song do you think captured that loss the best? I don't know that any one song captures the loss of Taylor Hawkins the best. There, It was almost more clear of which songs Grohl was writing in in remembrance of his mother because his mother passed away like five months after Taylor Hawkins did. So I guess I'm going to answer your question this way. There's 10 tracks on this album. I think eight of them could be about Taylor Hawkins for sure. Some of those eight could also be about Virginia Grohl. There's two tracks that are clearly about his mother <laughs> and then, and and one he had his daughter sing on too. And that was, uh, that was a uh, show me how that was a great, great track with him. And, and oh, I didn't daughter. know that was his daughter. Yeah, that's yeah. Cool. His daughter Violet yeah, is an cool. amazing artist. And uh, yeah, she's singing vocals on that. And that's about her grandmother and his mom. And that's a great, great song. But I'm not doing a good job of answering your question. But 
as I dove into this to capture what they're feeling about the loss of Taylor Hawkins, I don't think they could. I don't, I don't think they knew how, and that's what these songs are about. It's, I feel this incredible loss. I don't know what to do with it. I don't know what it's teaching me. I don't know how to grieve. I don't know. I don't know what any of this means. I just know now that you're not here. And that is the theme of so many of these songs when you dive into the lyrics and, and what they're saying. So, you know, and, and it starts off like rescued rescued is a track that sounds like it came off the color and shape, right? Like that is absolutely. But if, if you listen to what they're saying, it's like, it's, it's basically their confusion in the moment. Like this happened so fast and then it was gone. I don't even know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with this loss. And, and that theme is throughout the song. So I don't know that there's one that captures their loss of Taylor very like completely. And Phil, Phil put it really eloquently. The whole album can go one way or the other. They're, they're all about either Taylor or his mother, but listening to this album multiple times, what I, what I really heard is that Taylor was, was like his soulmate. And I don't mean that in a man on man love way. That's his boy. That's his best friend. That's his other half. That's his creative partner. And it's devastating, you know, like just as devastating as losing a parent. And that's what I heard in the album. So it's hard for me to discern other than like certain lines and rest that are truly about his mother. Almost every track is about Taylor. You know, it's interesting. I don't think I knew, or at least I didn't remember as I was listening to it uh, about his mom passing away. And so I looked at all of these songs as angles on the loss of that close friend, creative partner and brother. And we are about three, three and a half years past my older brother dying. And the song that got me the most was Under You Mm -hmm. because it catches two things that were really, really distinct in the grief of my brother passing when it happened. And now there's a line in under you where he says, someone said, I'd never see your face again. Part of me can't believe it's true. You lose somebody like this. And for me, it was inconceivable. I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that I was never going to see my brother again, never going to talk to him again. Like he's dead. It was, it's such a foreign concept in your mind. And it's still there. Like there's still days now, three years later, I'm like, I just, it blows me away that he's not calling. He's not texting. He's not walking through the door. The, the two things, there's that, there's the, the inability to comprehend what that death means in life. And then it's, I think I'm getting over it, but there is no getting over it. It never, ever goes away. It gets way less frequent. It, you don't suffer like you do in those first few months. Three years on, 10 years on, 20 years on, there's going to be moments where I'm caught by that grief. Uh, and that's that's why I thought Under You was the one that I just, I kept listening to it and saying like, man, I I know exactly what you're talking about. I know exactly what you mean, man. I, I know this. And you they did a beautiful job of capturing it lyrically. Moving on with the good feelings. Um, what was the most tragically sad lyric on the album? First one. I had a version of home and just like that, I was left to live without it, left to live without it. That's from the glass. Uh, Next one, where are you now? Who will show me? Who will show me how? From show me how. Next one, someone said, I'll never see your face again. Part of me just can't believe it's true. Pictures of us sharing songs and cigarettes. This is how I'll always picture you from under you. Uh, Last one. Waking up had another dream of us in the warm Virginia sun. There I will meet you from rest. Which of those do you think is 
the most tragically sad lyric of this album or if you had another one let me know they're all pretty tragic show me how listening to that song a few times and i look at it at a bigger scale other than just the line i think that song's mostly about his mom the fact that he has his daughter singing on it to me yeah it's that cycle like he lost his mom ultimately she's gonna lose her father and they're they're singing the same things to each other and, and to me that song might be the best song on the album it's so far off sonically from what they do but to me like I, i'm listening and i, I it hit me maybe in like the eighth time I heard him like, man, he's singing about his mom here, but his daughter's really singing to him here, knowing that it's coming for her too. That's tragic in itself. That's the most tragic song in general to me on the album. So I'm going to go with that one. Uh, I'm going to lean towards the the glass, the lyric you said from the glass and, and just the glass as a, as a track. The reason I feel like it's tragic is I think the idea is there's something super thin and fragile between like the, this. I, I, I don't know what just happened. I don't understand this. I remember you. I can think about you. I can feel you in my soul, but I don't get to ever see you again. I don't get to ever touch you again. And that's what they sing about in the glass. And it's just like, oh my God, like it's, you're so close. It's, it's, I, I kept thinking about like something's just out of reach. It's there. There's a presence and yet you'll never fully feel it again going forward. And when that loss is something like a brother, it hits a lot different. Not that any loss is good and all losses grieved for sure. But the glass to me felt like a tragic song. It, it, they all are, but that one, there was a lot of tragedy in that, in those lyrics. I, I'm going to go with show me how, but maybe because I didn't get it, you know, not going into listening to this, knowing that, you know, some of these songs were going to be about his mom. I really felt like that was a song that he had written from the perspective of Taylor Hawkins kids like coming to him and saying like, Hey, he's gone. Show me how, who's going to show me, you know, and he's kind of stepping in and saying, I'll take care of this. I'll take care of this. I'll take care of this. But it's, I, I saw it as just um, another one of those things that are like outside of your control. When somebody passes like this is like, Oh shit, there's kids left behind. And what are we going to do with them? You know, how are we going to help them? Interesting how these songs can hit you when you don't know the full backstory and you're just there trying to understand the words and the lyrics and stuff like that, because it definitely is a, a much different thing than what um, you guys understood it to be knowing more of like what was happening, which do you think was the best rock opera teacher or rest? It's funny. You said that I, I actually under the, the teacher, the teacher is one of my favorite tracks on this song. And I wrote like operette. <laughs> like it was like a yeah. mini rock opera. I'm like, holy cow, this thing's, I thought it was another song start. I'm like, no, it's still the same song. It's 10 minutes long. I'll, I'll vote for that one because of its length. And I do feel like, although I will say rest at exactly the halfway point changes tone, which is interesting because it's a long song too, but at exactly yeah. two minutes and 45 seconds into it, it changes tone. And there's just the same amount of time on the back end of it. Uh, but the teacher, I think, um, it's it's a long song with not a lot of words, but the music changes again, much like rest, about halfway through. It's yeah, it's teacher. Any rock opera needs to be over seven minutes and <laughs> this right, clock's yeah. in it. You ten mess around here. <laughs> and there's really like five songs in that ten minutes, which mm -hmm. is perfect for a rock opera. So it's the right choice. 
I also think the perfect rock opera should end after about 10 minutes. Well. <laughs> yeah, right. No reason for it to be two and a half hours. Somebody have Dave Grohl call whoever that bald guy is from Smashing Pumpkins. All right, so we got some jokes in. You know what? I'm going to go with Rest just because I thought it was a better song, but I did like how Rest felt like it had kind of themes musically as it went through it, uh, and it changed quite a bit, and it felt a little bit operatic like that. Anything that the Foo Fighters did on this album that surprised you? I, I don't know that it surprised me. I, I think I assumed the album, the first album that, you know, in, in Dave Grohl's words, they were basically forced to go into the studio and someone locked the door and said, this is how you guys grieve, get through this, you, you know, use your, use your brotherhood and your musical talent. And they, and they put out an album that is all about grieving. So I don't know that anything surprised me, I guess. Maybe something I thought about after the fact, because before they went out on tour with this album, they didn't have a drummer. So Dave Grohl played drums on every Whoa, one of these tracks man. on the album, which is exactly what he did on their first album, yeah. because it was a one-man show. He just went and played the parts until they found a Taylor Hawkins. They had one drummer for one album, and he got fired really quickly, because Dave's like, "I nope, nope, this is not the guy. So there was some like interesting bookend, I guess thought to that like Grohl playing the drums to begin the Foo Fighters they found Taylor Hawkins and no one could sit in that chair except for Taylor Hawkins unless your name is Dave Grohl and then they got a good drummer on tour but that's for the live show what a crazy emotional fuck that must have been to mm -hmm. go and sit in the chair and play the drums for the songs about your drummer who just passed away man that's crazy I'm glad Phil brought that to light because that I didn't know that I would assume he would have played drums on here to me, the only thing that, that that surprised me is the songs are so raw and so emotional. And I'm being nitpicky. The effect on his voice throughout most of this album, it's too clean. Uh, my favorite Dave Grohl is, is kind of out there and letting his voice breathe and let it crack or scream or whatever it is. And it sounds a little too polished sometimes. And that's the it doesn't take away from how much I like the album, but it stuck out to me the more I listened to it that not, not that it's auto-tuned there's just an effect on his voice that makes it a little too clean for the subject matter that he's writing about I, I think what surprised me the most and it probably has more to do with the fact that i'm i don't follow these guys as much now as maybe i did in, in like the 90s or the mid-aughts I, I think i forgot what great songwriters these guys were like lyrically this is e even though like phil's right from early on that there aren't a ton of lyrics in a lot of these songs, but man, they make very efficient use of the words throughout it. And, and I thought that part was what caught me a little bit. Gosh, man, this is really just a well-written group of songs with a theme, obviously, throughout. And I thought that was pretty cool and a little bit surprising for me. So bourbon scale, one to five, where do you put the Foo Fighters latest album? I learned a really good lesson with this album. Because I texted you guys and I was like, no, nah, the new Foo Fighters albums, I'm, eh. The lesson is don't listen to it on your phone like an hour after it comes out and you really just want to go to bed on a Friday at like 1 a.m. Uh, <laughs> well, that's a complicated lesson. It, it There's is. like a lot of parts uh, to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, there, there <laughs> is. Go write that down. Because, oh, man. you know, like when I, when I first listened to it and the way the album opens with Rescue, that's my favorite Foo Fighter. Like that, that's my favorite sound where it's, straightforward and rock and he's gonna scream a little bit here um 
And then when I listened to it more and more, I thought, oh, it kind of tails off, but it, but it doesn't. This is a fantastic album, and it's a fantastic Foo Fighter album. This is a top three Foo Fighter album uh, in their catalog, hands down. No matter what the subject matter is, like I, I looked at this thing and it was like, it's just devastatingly brilliant. It's devastating because I don't want to listen to it because of the way it makes me feel. It's brilliant because I still want to listen to it despite that. This is a four and a half out of five album here. And if I were the Foo Fighters, this is it. This is the last album I make. And then there's something else after it, whether it's Grohl and whoever or a side project. Uh, this is the perfect wrap up to what they've done. A rock band that has existed since we were in high school slash college. That doesn't happen in this genre anymore. Most people will tell you that rock is dead. And he's kind of the mayor of rock and roll right now. And he only lets you in. He's, he's like fun loving and all that stuff. This is the first time I really see him bear his soul here. And I really like it. So I hope it continues in some way. Pleasantly surprised, man. I won't stop listening to this album. It's excellent. It's a four and a half. So uh, before we even decided to review this album, there was a week where it existed. I had already listened to it 20 times if I listened to it once. Like I couldn't stop listening to this. My boys know the lyrics to these songs. They don't even know what they're listening to because they've heard it oh, that's good. so much. You, you know, um, don't tell them yet. Give him D- Dylan. Give him Dylan already loves the teacher. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Like you want me to, he asks me to play a 10 minute rock song. He asks for it. Where I'm going with this is as a, since the foo have existed. Well, I'll take that back. I really didn't come to the foo fighters until after maybe there were three albums in. And then I kind of like went back and, and caught up kind of thing. Right. Um, but a big fan, I, I will consider myself that for sure. This is an album that if you don't pay attention to it is a good foo fighters album. This is an album when you do pay attention to it is a great Foo Fighters album. That's how I felt about it. It sounded great. It sounded awesome. And then you start to put yourself in the perspective of what they were going through, what they're dealing with, what they're talking about, what this music is about from a therapeutic sense, from an, I just don't understand, like the confusion sense, all of that. And that's where it starts to transcend to me. So I'm going to give it a five out of five. I'm a bit biased, but I'm going to give it a five on the bourbon scale. I think your your bias is justified, and um, I, I'm with you guys. I, I was at a four or a four and a half. This is absolutely an album I'm going to keep listening to, and maybe even bigger than that, I think this is an album that's going to get me diving back into their full catalog. From top to bottom, I love the sound of it, whether it's Rescued or it's Rest or it's under you or the glass which are all kind of different sounding songs man i enjoyed every single one of them Uh, and looking forward to continuing to listen to it and and to listen to some more of their let's call them more upbeat albums Uh, and i for one will say that i hope this is not the end of the foo fighters i get the idea of the bookend and in closing the chapter but if they can make this they can make a lot more good music and that never gets old. So uh, I hope they keep going and, and keep making more good stuff. But fellas, we are out of time. I am out of questions for now. And we just did the whole show without mentioning that James Cosimer recently began selling off decades worth of his TV collectibles in an online auction. With that news, that Tammy will hopefully understand the 11000 I spent for the shirt tie and tan jacket al bundy ensemble is an investment 
I hope you guys have a great week and let's get together and do this again real soon. Absolutely. You're not going to go for the Polk high football jersey. Way more than 11,000 <laughs> oh, for okay. that one. Out of, out, if it was priced out, I get it. The surprising rev <clears throat> the surprising resolution of an almost tear geez off to a flaming start here <laughs> Chuck oh I'm sorry I didn't, I didn't you remember you, how, you remember how we do this I do <laughs> uh the jram three run <clears throat> but to me it's a 50 the <clears throat> Next one. one Which second, is I the gotta give the baby a binky? Oh, okay. She's screaming. Hold on. I'm sorry. <clears throat> I think Gerb, so what you were saying, that's interesting about Taylor, because I think like on this current tour, I think at one of their like revival. His like, son is playing, son, right? Yeah. Yeah. They bring him his son out and he plays for some yeah. of that. Talk about a totally different, like wow. like like Dave Grohl dealt with the death of Kurt Cobain, which spawned the oh Foo Fighters, God. right? Right, like that—that yeah. that spawned yeah. the Foo Fighters. But you know, the man has gone from a twenty, early twenty-year-old to a fifty-year-old, and and the the maturation process. I think, like I read, I, it was even in some of his book. But like you read about how he was almost done with music because of what happened with Kurt Cobain. Whereas this, like, they immediately turned yeah. in to the music. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Somebody stealing a car down the street. I don't know if you guys can hear that. Anyone cutting down a tree? <laughs> no. <laughs> no tree cutting is too dark for that now. We started out slow and like it has a list of events on this printout. And I just kept putting L's next to everything. It's like L, L, L. And then we got one. And then we got another one, right. another one, another one. Oh, and, and then we the- up with like five. But we didn't think that was enough. We were up at the, there's like a pool, kiddie pool and all that. And we went back down to the beach. We had just got back down there with the kids and her mom called They're like, hey, you have to guys come back up. We won family of the week. So we had we had to go back up there. Yes. Take the photos. Um, You're like so. the guardians. Huh? You started off slow. We did. And then you started yeah. to snowball. And then all of a sudden you were the yeah. best. This was uh Ludington's 150th birthday celebration this weekend. Oh wow. Happy birthday. That's why I like the Budweiser <laughs> Clydesdales. Oh nice. Yeah, town. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. really cool, man. If you've never seen those guys in person, those are some mm. big ass horses. Big horses, horses. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Monsters. So we had a big like street party on Friday night and then um our biggest race of the year in Ludington is Lake Stride. They've been running it for like 35 years. Um it's a half marathon, 10K, and a 5K. And I was running the 10K. And, like, it's a big event. So, like, like my running group, we have a tent down. You finish at the beach. So, we have a tent down there. And everybody brings coolers. And you hang out all day, you know, after you've run and blah, blah, blah. And so, I'm getting myself ready. I'm like, ah, I'm going to get down there nice and early so I can get kind of warmed up. And rolling into the park at about, um, about 8.30. I'm kind of looking around. I'm like, well, you know, here's the tents. You know, where is everybody? I don't, you know, see a bunch of coolers. Don't see any people. 
And then I start seeing people cross the finish line. Oh no, wait a, wait a minute. Pull up my phone and look at the email that I had received the night before um, <laughs> about the race. And the 10, I was running the 10K and the 10K started at 820. And I was, it was like 832 at that time. <laughs> so I like run from where I put the call Tammy. I'm like, oh my God, this thing started at eight, not nine. <laughs> She's like, oh my God, you better start running. Um, and so I got to like where the starting line had been, like the starters were still there. And they're like, well, I don't know what to tell you. Enjoy the run. <laughs> okay. It's like Willie so Mays Hayes. That's exactly right. <laughs> I've been exactly already. right. I, uh, I started catching people who were walking the 10K at about a mile and a half. I started oh boy, catching right. people who were running it around four miles. There you go. And uh, I actually ran like I ran it in uh, about 54 minutes, wow. which is pretty fast for me. It's about like a sub nine, around nine minute um, mile. See, you just inadvertently and- proved the theory. You don't need to warm up. Yes, like, exactly. Like no lions, stretching lions for me. Don't yeah. warm up, just yeah. attack. Just go. I, uh, <laughs> lions don't warm up. You remember that from uh, Zombieland? <laughs> Woody no. Harrelson. Woody Harrelson's ripping on the the nerdy kid for like limbering up before attacking the zombies. He's like, yeah. wait a minute. You ever see a lion warm up? <laughs> uh, I finished third in my age group. Nice. For the race. Congrats, with my man. with the with the actual clock time. They did not give me credit for the 14 and a half minutes or no something way. like that. Or 13 hey, so and a half minutes. Spotted the field 15 yeah. minutes in a race. Third. <laughs> yes. I expect and, championship next year. <laughs> and my um you know, the funny thing is, is that based on the times that they announced, I still think my actual time would have finished third as well. So there's a huge gap in the oh, runners yeah. who were 45 to 49. Um yeah. Tammy talked to some ladies who came into her store that day and who were saying that they had walked the 10K and she told them the story and they're like, we know exactly who you're talking about. He he flew by us at like mile three. We had no idea. Why he was so- <laughs> they thought someone was running a second lap. Yeah. <laughs> like, what the hell? This idiot doesn't know how to pace himself, stuff like that. Oh, man, it was funny. Oh, that's fantastic. I got to tell you, before we get going, I had uh, therapy this past week. Mm-hmm. And the very first thing she said to me when we we do it over Zoom, very first thing she said to me when she when we logged in was she's like, I she's like, I laughed so much. I thought you guys handled the power outage so well <laughs> in the show. And she's like, and I'm going to start watching Ted Lasso because you guys all seem to love it so oh, much. Cool. And she's like. And based on your recommendation, I watched the first episode of Succession and decided it wasn't for me. <laughs> yes. a good idea. Yes. Yeah, I'm like, you are right. You're right. I, I don't think it was for me either. <laughs> I don't think it's for anybody. <laughs> What's your favorite song on the album? I, I circled three. I'm, yeah, I circled so. three. Thank you. Can't make decisions anymore. Oh, uh, this is like the guardians like, get my MVP. Th- th- yeah, this is, uh, yeah, it's on brand for me anyway, but this is like, what's your favorite Springsteen song on an album? You know, it's like, come on. Like, it's so hard. It's so hard. Um, I kept going back to the teacher. I don't know why. Like I, it was not my favorite on my first, second, third or fourth listen. But as I got into it, I, 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 I think I like the sound of it. I like, I like that. It's a long song to be honest with you. Um, and 
I like that I started thinking about it from the perspective that they're singing about his mother and they're singing about Taylor Hawkins. Like the teacher, she was a teacher. So Virginia girl was a teacher and an author for, and she lived in, I mean, she was, she was in her eighties, I think. I mean, she lived a long life, but um, she was a teacher. So I think they named the song for that, but it, the song is about the, the, the tragedy of death of loss as a teacher. Right. So it, te- you don't know how to, you, you don't know how to grieve. You, you, no one can teach you how to grieve. Um, so I really like that song for the length of it. Um, but again, if I had to pick one, I'll pick that one. How about you guys? It's rough, man. I loved rescued. And I was like, man, this song's so great. It is good. But I also yeah. love the glass and mm-hmm. show me how it's a great song. Um, that's a toss. I think it'll switch off right now. It might be show me how it's good. Um, but it, the whole album's good that, you know, like even at first, I, um, God, uh, nothing at all. I was like, yeah, it's okay. And I kept listening to it. Listen to it. Really again. good. That's, right. That song yeah. turns into a Nirvana yeah. song. Yeah. Yeah. It turns in mm. to like, it changes from like that funk groove. It has into a Nirvana song where You're there's exactly still melody right. yeah. to it, but he starts screaming it. I'm like, Oh, this is, that song reminded me of the Nirvana song they used in the Batman movie. Um, the um, I believe I can fly. No, <laughs> Nirvana. No, oh. I believe Bat I can dance? fly was Space Jam. Oh, you're, you're thinking of uh, the 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 Seal song. No, but Nirvana Kiss Rose was, right. was in the Batman. No, no, no. That was in the the George Clooney Batman movie. The Prince song. No, it's Prince. That's what I'm thinking of. Prince. Bat dance. Yeah. 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 yeah the bat dance. No. <laughs> Try to get the boys in bed. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. I appreciate it. I'll put like um, Reynolds wrap over their windows. That's what I always see like meth heads do to keep the sun from getting in. Put meth, put that on their windows. Yeah. Is that that the silver stuff? I guess it could be. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. 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 You're right. But Reynolds wrap is the clear stuff. So you've got aluminum aluminum foil. Aluminum foil is what I mean. Yeah, yeah, aluminum like, foil. yeah. Reynolds yeah. wrap is like, yeah, like uh, no. exactly. The All right, twelve thirty one. Hey, happy yeah. Father's Day, boys! Yeah, I'm not going to see it till yeah. after Father's Day. Yeah, happy hey, Father's enjoy, enjoy that. I'm sure enjoy we'll talk it. About it but, yeah, you know. yeah, awesome guys. All right, my boys, love, love you, boys. Brothers. Have a great night, guys. Later. Right, Funny. Funny like a clown? You didn't use you?